Well, amen. How many are enjoying our time going through First Peter? It has been such a rich just journey for me personally. It's always on my lips. It's always in my mind. It's always in my heart, not just because I've spent a lot of time to read it, but I've been chewing on it. I've been um, just reflecting and ruminating upon this amazing, powerful letter written to a collection of churches in what we would call modern day Turkey. And so here's what I want to do. I want to get us up to speed. So if you'll close your eyes, pretend, because I think I read a statistic between 80 and 90% of the world that Paul or Peter are writing to are illiterate. So if you received a letter from Pastor Peter or Pastor Paul, the chances are you would have been in a house church, a very strong chance, you would have been in a house and somebody, a elder over that house, over that little church would have received this letter, certainly the letter of First Peter. It was a letter that was meant to be read in one place and then passed to the next, passed to the next, passed to the next. And so you would have had the experience as someone who didn't have the ability to read, you would have sat and said, I can't wait. We got the letter from Peter. What's he going to say? And so I want you to close your eyes, follow along if you want. I'm going to quote where we have been up to the, we're just looking at two new verses today. So take a deep breath. But I want to give you its entirety, about half of the letter, so you could experience what it would have been like as a, as a new and growing believer in the midst of a hostile culture, pressure within and pressure without. I want you to experience these words like you are a first century believer receiving a letter from your pastor, from Pastor Peter. And so let's just lean into this these first few verses of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. Searched intently and with the greatest care. Trying to find out the time and circumstances. To which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ. And the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you in Jesus Christ is revealed as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance but just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do for it is written be holy because I am holy since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times 
for your sake. Through him, you believed in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not the people of God, but now you are the people of God. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Can we say thanks be to God? And so we see this journey as we've been on the living hope. We've been chosen. We've been born again. We have an eternal inheritance he takes us on this entire journey in light of this living hope and this eternal inheritance. Yes, there's pain, there's fire, there's adversity, there's suffering. Let that seed go all the way down into the community that bears my name, the community of chosen, royal, holy, priestly people. Love one another. Rid yourselves of all those community killers that we named malice, hypocrisy, envy, and the like. Then he says, out of this cultural Headwind, build your life and practice on the stone that was rejected by men but is precious to God. Last week we looked at the reality is everybody wants the kingdom without reference to and reverence for the king. But the reality is if you remove the stone, the whole building collapses. And how many would say we're seeing that in a real time in culture? When you remove the stone... The, the whole building collapses. And we see that God's vision last week for a crumbling society is to raise up a different kind of people in whom and through whom God does his work. I love this quote from one of the commentators I looked at last week. It says this, to live as members of God's kingdom is to incarnate the values, perspectives, and relationship of God's kingdom in our daily living. To be priests of God is to be agents of God's redeeming, healing, liberating, and transforming grace to a broken and hurting world. Right here, we're at midpoint of the letter, and Peter, like I just quoted, those last two verses of, of 11 and 12, he really, he really sort of, he transitions us to what we're going to look at for the back half of the letter. What the gospel means for our relationship with the emperor, with government, within marriage, with each other, he then, he'll do all of the implications, how we're meant to live in light of who we are in Jesus, who we're becoming in Jesus, 
But right here, it's the middle point. It's like an arrow. I just see Peter, you know, he's writing, and all of a sudden, abstain from sinful desires. I mean, it's just right in the middle of the letter. Live in such a way that even if you're accused, they're going to see the fruit of your life. And on the day God visits us, they'll glorify him. And so he... That's where we're at. That's where we're going to, we're just going to look at those two verses today. We got work to do, but just those two verses, chapter two, verse 11 and 12. So one more time, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. There's no way around it, saints. Holiness matters to God. I mean, if you didn't hear holy or holiness or holy or love, holy love, it's all throughout the letter. It's all throughout the scriptures at, at, the, at the baseline reality. You and I, if we're born again, a believer, a follower of Jesus, our destiny and our inheritance is to look increasingly like our father who is holy. Holiness may have, you know, it may have come on hard times. It's passe. It's so yesterday. But it is the eternal reality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God calls us to holiness. And when we, I wrote this down, when we lose our inner resolve to pursue a life of holiness, we, look, listen to this sequence, they are all A's, you can remember them. When we lose that pursuit of holiness and devotion to Jesus, here's what we open ourselves up to. To accommodate, to assimilate, to approve of, to adopt, and then eventually to applause what culture values. When we stop the pursuit of holiness and the devotion to Jesus, and we just become idle, indifferent, we, 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 before we know it, it may not be a week, it may not be a few months, but a year, a few years, certainly generationally, if we stop saying yes to holiness and the pursuit of Christ and his kingdom, we will, we'll, we'll, it'll first just be we accommodate to culture. You live, you, I'll do me, it's cool. Then we'll assimilate, start getting, we'll adopt their practices, approve of practices, and then eventually Romans chapter 1 ends we celebrate the practices that are out of step with the king and his kingdom. And I know all of us are like, we're good, godly people. Which is probably really true. There are a whole lot of good, godly people here. But you see this happen right now. In my generation, I'm a millennial. You see this happening. The fastest growing population of agnostic or atheists. The rejection of the stone, Jesus Everyone wants the kingdom without reference to or reverence for the king. And that's what happens. And so why do you love what you love? We, we accommodate, we assimilate, we approve of. Before we know it, we're not only approving of, now we're applauding and saying this is the way towards flourishing. All of us can be susceptible to this downward spiral. And so Peter, he's like, I, this language, I urge you. It's strong, fatherly language. Guys, I urge you. And then he names their reality. You're foreigners and exiles. In this quest and in this battle, the war that sin wages against our souls within and around us, we have to remember two things. We have to remember, turn your page over. We have to remember who we are and where we are, who we are, according to scripture, when you're born again, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, you're delivered from the dominion of darkness and you're brought into the kingdom of light and the son whom the father loves. Amen. John 5, 24 and 5, you pass from death to life. When you're born again, you become a foreigner in exile, 1 John 5, 18, amidst a culture that is still under the powers of the principalities and powers. You're a foreigner in exile. You don't belong. When you're born again, you are now born for the only everlasting eternal kingdom. And how the kingdom of God works is that it's the kingdom amidst kingdoms. And so Peter's like, here, two things I urge you. 
You got to know who you are. If you're so at home in culture in the world, it's time to question, am I really born again? If it never dawns on me that what the world values, what it promotes, doesn't somehow grate my spirit wrong, I probably believed a lie. I need to look again at the gospel and the scriptures and say, Lord, search me and know me. You got to remember who you are. You're a foreigner in exile. Just read all of Hebrews 11. Oh, my goodness. We are born for a world whose builder and architect is God. Peter, uh, Paul says it like this in Philippians 3. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Aaron and I just looked at this in discipleship this week. And when you think of an enemy of the cross of Christ, maybe your mind immediately goes to those super pagan bad people. Their destiny is destruction. Look at those who are enemies of the cross. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind, read it with me, is set on earthly things. But our, read it loud, our citizenship is in heaven. Those who live as enemies of the cross are not just those who have an anti-Christ agenda. It's those who are under the lull lullaby of the enemy that this life is all that there is therefore eat drink be merry live how you want with no reference to or reverence for the king of the everlasting kingdom we live as enemies of the cross of christ when we don't live as if christ and his eternal kingdom are our eternal hope and reality that's why i quoted all of the whole two chapters it's about the eternal perspective say it with me this life is not all there is we get a vapor, a mist, James chapter 4. We have a blip on the eternal radar. But if you're born again, everything you sow towards the Spirit, Galatians 6, will go with you on into eternity. So Peter's like, you need to know who you are. You're a foreigner in exile. That's why he's gone at lengths to describe being born again. Links. He's going to talk about it more. You're made for another world. But that doesn't mean we go build a holy huddle and are indifferent to the world. I love Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 9. Don't have time to unpack it. Read it yourself. It's in your notes. Essentially, the prophet Jeremiah writing to those who are actually in real exile, Israel and Judah, under Babylon. He's like, build houses, get married, plant vineyards. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. So when, when we hear, I'm a foreigner in exile, I'm made for another world, that doesn't mean we pray a prayer, live how we want, no difference between us and unbelievers, and just hope culture gets, you know, figured out. No, we seek the peace and prosperity of wherever we call home. Amen. Amen. We, we build families, we, 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 we marry, we plant vineyards and fields and that this language is that whatever our orientation to the world, it's that inner resolve to reflect the one in whose image we were created. And wherever the culture surroundings, it doesn't change our play, which is to live in light of the inbreaking kingdom of Christ. So he's like, remember who you are and where you are. So many believers get their lunch handed to them because we forget we are in a very real battle. The enemy, we do not live in neutral territory. Believers do not live in sort of a greenhouse petri dish where good things just naturally grow without any effort, discipline, or focus. There is the world, the principalities and powers that are at enmity against God, Colossians 1, 19 through 23. There is the flesh, Galatians 5, you know, the, the beautiful list of sexual morality, impurity, greed, lust, you know, all of it. The flesh is at battle and certainly the enemy and all of his friends. Because Revelation 12, he knows and they know their time is short. Can we say amen to that? So remember who you are, foreigners and exiles, you're citizens of another kingdom, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't participate in what happened. We're going to get there in the next couple of weeks. But how knowing who you are frees you to participate in a way that even if it doesn't go your way, you're not gutted. You don't lose your faith. That's everything. That's everything. And then remember, we are in a battle. 
And then he says the word that I am of the opinion as I sat on this one word for a while. As, a, as a, the old NIV 84, that's what, I, that's what I memorized from way back in the day. I, it crushed me when they released the 2011 version. That's it. I don't know why I told you that. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a perfectionist. Like, I memorized all my stuff in the 84 version because I was born in 84. That was my version, and they changed it all in 2011. You can hardly find a 1984 NIV Bible anymore, but that's beside the point. Let's get back to the passage. For those of you who are like, he's way off. No, I'm not. Read the 84 version. It's way too hard to remember. All, to, okay. The problems of a weirdo. Is it hot in here? Turn the air on. Remember who you are. Remember where you are. Remember that you're in a battle. And then he leads with the, I would say, one of the most culturally controversial words of our moment. Abstain. Abstain. Say it with me. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Now, our cultural moment goes something like this. You are the king or queen, however you identify, of your own kingdom. The only cultural sin is for people to have a moral objective claim that has implications for how you should live and how you should be culpable and accountable to a source higher than yourself. That's the only sin of culture, to tell someone how they're meant to live. So when Peter writes abstain, in our cultural moment, it is a big time bad word. Because we live under the lull and under the lie. I love, I don't love Cheryl Crow. Remember that song she wrote probably 20 years ago? I'm old. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. But here's what's unbelievable. If it makes you happy, I can't say one of the lyrics then why are you so sad? This is a poet of culture, someone from culture, identifying the cultural narrative. Just do what you feel, do what you want. Abstain, are you kidding? But when you go down that path, it's not happiness. It's now a greater insight that that vast pit in your soul is unquenchable. Ecclesiastes says we have eternity, it's an eternal size hole in our spirit. And so Peter, writing to a foreigner exiled people who are sort of building their life, they're the chosen priests, their life is meant to be like a, a temple, like offering sacrifices, serving each other in love. And he's like, but guys, the whole thing, the, the greatest threat we face is not external, it's internal. You got to hear me, the great... What COVID, I'm not going to, I don't have time. Who we are on the inside has always mattered more to God than anything we ever do for God on the outside. And I see the zeal of Papa Peter. He's like, guys, you've got to abstain. And it's a bad, it's a, ew, gross. Abstain, really? I love this, I love, and, and, and in the original language, it means to continually keep away from sinful desires. Don't let yourself indulge in them at any time or in any way. Let's read this promise, though, this great promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Many of you could quote it, I'm sure. Read it with me. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So when Peter's saying, guys, you're born again, living hope. God's your father. You're not helpless. You're not hopeless. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got more in your corner than you can imagine. You're the recipients of that. All the prophets hope they could see and experience. It's in you, called Jesus. But that doesn't mean you're still not going to have to show up to the plate and get ready for, for the fight. 
How many believe there's a whole bunch of bad theology in the name of the grace of God that just says God will take care of it. He doesn't need your partnership. And though the grace of God is insatiably glorious and powerful, there is a war and you need to buckle up, arm up and step up to get ready for that war. And if you read, the, again, the original language of this, this, this war, it literally means that, 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 that sin and the desire to, to name your own good and evil, to be your own king or queen of your own kingdom over and against God's will and God's law, it literally, it makes war. And so it doesn't just have one way to try to get at you. It has a thousand ways. A calculated assignment to destroy who you are in Christ on the inside. And so he says to abstain. All of us understand this, even though culturally abstains, like, are you serious? Like, live accountable to someone else's version or vision of what is good, true, right, just, and beautiful? Abstain. But every story and every documentary and every novel, it's always the story of the hero who abstains and says no so that he or she can say a bigger yes to the conquest, the task, the vocation. You know what I'm saying? Everything great is on the other side of abstaining and restraining so that you can pursue something better. That's every story, ever, every story we tell. We don't, no one tells the story of the person that just gave themselves to anything and everything. No one does. So abstain on the door, on the outside of that door, it might be like, gosh, that's kind of boring. God just wants to ruin my fun. He invented fun. He invented joy. He invented life. He is life, John 1, 1 through 4. The world, the lie of culture, the world revolves around you. Don't suppress or deny who you really are according to your own truth, choices, desire, and preference. You're in charge. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. To that narrative, Peter says, abstain. Abstain. There's a war, but it's not just gritting your teeth. Everyone grit your teeth at me. Sometimes who would say abstaining from sin feels like gritting your teeth? It's true. I'm not, I'm not saying it's that, the, no. I'm not saying it's not a part of it, but it's not the long-term strategy to experience overcoming faith and victory. Amen. Because eventually you'd wear your teeth out. So four things, just write these down on, if you have a smartphone. I, I, didn't put, I didn't have time. You know how hard it is to get one half sheet front back? I love the practice of it, though. But write this down or just think about it. When you're faced with a temptation, this is just a freebie, or the spirit of dullness or a sin or a compromise, there's these simple steps, simple to grasp, but you've got to put them to work. Number one, when faced with a compromise, when faced with a sin, when faced with a temptation, stop and reflect. Does this thought or desire flow from God's mind and God's character? Step one, reflect. Already, if you and I just be like my spiritual father taught me to think about your thoughts, how many think we would be on a more hopeful path to overcoming the war of sin if we just reflected which obviously when temptation comes what does it come with you need it now 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 so we reflect does this thought this temptation this longing this appetite does it flow from his mind and his heart if it doesn't reflect and then step two say it with me resist Resist the lies, the lusts, and the longings that do not grow from Jesus and his life-giving vine. We reflect, and then we resist. Chatty, this sounds like, it's like, does it take like 20 minutes? No, this can happen in five seconds. Trying to give you language to think about. Reflect, resist, and then repent. Everyone say repent. After I've reflected, is it in his heart, his mind? Nope. I've resisted. Okay, if it's not in him, I don't want it in me. Now I repent. Repentance is the lifeline of the believer. Repentance is not, I feel I'm a terrible person. It's I want to come even greater into a greater alignment and agreement with who the king and his kingdom is. So I repent. I reflect. I resist. I repent. Okay, Lord, 
I confess that appetite, that longing. I wanted to do. I wanted. I wanted to gossip, slander, lust, whatever it is, lie, steal, cheat, whatever. But I come into agreement. Number four, redirect. This is huge. This is where your teeth stop gritting and you turn that discipline and resolve into the pursuit of the opposite that is found in Jesus. Redirect that longing, that, 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 that longing for uh, greed, for more. Lord, but I know this isn't going to bring happiness, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to redirect that desire towards you because you are the fountain of all that is good, true, right, just, and beautiful. So after repentance, we come into agreement. We redirect. Then we respond. One of my favorite people on the planet, Brian Hellstrom, over Jesus Film and Harvest Partners, he says, we seek to obey immediately and completely. That's his words. I totally stole it. Immediately and completely. We respond. And then here's a big one. We rest. You've reflected, resisted, repented, redirected, responded. Now you say, God, I'm a work in progress, but I'm going to rest in your finished work. I've done what I could do. I'm going to rest. You're able to help, to heal, to forgive, to give me grace and strength to make it through the next onslaught of the enemy. Amen. A simple, not easy little framework when you think about when temptation comes your way. Put another way. If you don't like the five R's, the best way to abstain from sin is to abide in the Savior. AA. Abstain. Abide. And if there is one secret, 37-year-old Pastor Chatty, my journey, I've experienced significant breakthroughs in, in, in certain sins or snares when I was a teenager. The secret to walking in a vibrant spirit and holiness is not just forever to say no to sin, but to say a greater yes to Jesus. And my testimony is this. I was a really good sinner. Anybody else? My logic, maybe it's just how God made me. I'll pray it over you. If I was really good at pursuing a life at odds and over against God, then I wanted to take all of that bandwidth and aim it at God. The best way to abstain from the war of sin is to abide in a greater reality. By abiding in Jesus, we experience victory over sin and vibrancy of soul. Jesus said it explicitly, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus is not a one and done endeavor. Can I get an amen? Abiding in Jesus is an overall life orientation and posture. It takes time. It's cultivated. Those roots got to grow deep by the living streams of Psalm 1 that helps you to produce fruit in every season. So the best way to abstain is to abide. It's called the, Thomas Chalmers called it the expulsive power of a greater affection. Look at that phrase, the expulsive power of a greater affection. I said on my prayer walk yesterday, I got this one liner that was new. If I'm not satisfied in Jesus, then I'm susceptible to sin. Does that, does that make sense? If I'm not drawing that sense of satisfaction, who I am, who I'm becoming, his beauty, his glory, his character, his nature, his deeds, if I'm not satisfied that I'm susceptible to some other thing that promises me a temporary quick fix, but when the hit or the buzz wears off, I'm emptier than before. And the invitation of the gospel is not to dabble in a little bit of Jesus, it's to be immersed in Jesus. 
is to know him, to love him, to treasure him, to follow him, to be formed in his likeness, to abide so that he could obey, so you could know, and so that Jesus' own prayer, Father, may the love you have for me be in them. We are in them. May they know the love that you had for me before the world began. I'm going to keep making you known to them. And for so many of us, we thought Jesus wanted to deal with our sins, and he does, and he did, but he wants more than your sins. He wants you. He wants to be your partner for life and then for all eternity. And I love that phrase. If I'm not, when I, by satisfied, I mean I'm drawing my sense of identity, purpose, acceptance, belonging. I'm fascinated by him. If I'm just indifferent, then inevitably the door is open to some other lie or lure from the, can I, does that make sense? If I'm not satisfied. Delighting in Jesus is the greatest weapon against sin. And then he ends, and I end. So there's that abstain. There's a war against your soul. The enemy's trying to take you up. Remember when, when, uh, the mo- remember when, when, when Balaam was hired, right? He was hired to curse Israel. Right? And God's like, and Balaam, he's a false prophet, but he can't speak against God's covenant people. And the king kept getting mad. Dude, I hired you to curse them. He couldn't put an outside curse on them. So then they had a a different idea. Send in the women. And Israel imploded internally, not from an external curse. Come on, somebody. Peter, he, he has that in mind here. If you are in Christ, there's nothing the enemy can externally do or declare over your life because there's a voice that is louder, that is stronger, more consistent, and more powerful. The voice that says, you're mine. But the enemy knows, like that story of the Moabites, when the women came and then sexual immorality, the community was gutted from the inside. That's what Peter's getting at here. And if you have, there's this, listen, I'm going to get there at the end, very practical stuff at the end. But if there's a sin... There's a habit. There is no, there's shame in that, but there's no, there's no shame or condemnation. If today you say, you know what? I acknowledge the war and I want to step up in the grace of God with those around me to support and encourage, I'm going to go to war against this sin. And I want you to know that if you are just getting your handed to you, there's hope today for the war. There is victory. There is one who has power to cleanse to make you holy and to keep you holy as you stay in step with his Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm a believer in holiness because I'm a satisfied customer. Not because of what I've done, but what he has done in me by his grace in a lifetime partnership with Jesus. How many believe in this house there is hope and healing for sin? So he doesn't stop there. This part's a little bit easier. Not necessarily to live out, but it's easier to grasp. So you abstain from sin. Why? So you can live the good life. Come on. It's not, I can unpack it more, but that's it. Abstain. The real battles for your heart. You keep showing up and winning that battle in the grace of God. You abstain. So that you can abide and you can experience life on the vine, the fruitfulness and flourishing that comes from the yoke of Jesus. When that happens, you're able to be free to live and to pursue the good, right, true, just, and beautiful that reflects the image of your father. That's how Peter ends here. Live such, say it with me, such good lives. I love that language. Such good lives among the pagans that they can still accuse you of doing wrong, of being bigots, of backwoods yesterday. What You tell weird stories, you have weird practices, that's fine. But if they see the good deeds that are rooted in the character, nature, and conduct of our Father, eventually, by the grace of God, they can bow their knee and acknowledge, you know what, maybe what you guys were saying really was true. We abstain so that we can abide so we can live a good life. Like that's your missionary strategy, Peter? Pursue holiness, abide in Jesus, and just be devoted to doing good stuff? Yeah. How many know good stuff includes good stuff? You got a job? Keep doing your job well. That's good stuff. 
especially today. You have a marriage, it's not perfect, but you're working on it. Stay devoted, stay committed. That's good stuff. Amen. You're trying to more and more bring your time, treasure, and talent and submit it to the Lordship of Jesus, saying, Lord, all I have, all I am is yours. That's good stuff. Keep on that path. You're devoted to when the gossip's going around the, the cooler at work. I'm going to stop the conversation or redirect the conversation. That's good stuff. Raising your kids as broken as you are, I am, <clears throat> to love Jesus and you just try to sprinkle the gospel in it everywhere and say a prayer before bed. That's good stuff. You're not perfect, but you're devoted to the good. Listen, so many of us are like, God could never use me. Baloney. They'll see the good stuff that flows from a heart that's rooted in the soil of the Savior. And that fruit of a life that's not just always falling apart. A marriage that's broken, but that's getting mended. That relationship, instead of re retaliating, we're seeking reckons. These little moments of the inbreaking kingdom are the good things that bring glory to a good God. We are way too fuzzy. I got to go be this or that. No, just good stuff. How many can do good stuff in the grace of God? Raise your hand. All of y'all can. And before we know it, we are, we, are, we are vastly approaching such a famine for what is good, true, right, just, and beautiful. The littlest act that gives a glimmer of hope can be like a whole sermon preached to your neighbor or your relational network. You know I'm right. A little sign, a little note, a little text, these little things. When you're in famine, the smallest sign of life, of water, or the littlest morsel of bread can touch you for your whole life. And we're in that hour, friends. Jesus said it like this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Read it with me. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here we see it. It's almost like Peter copied Jesus. He did. This sounds familiar. Salt. That's purity. That's preservation. That's holiness. It was used by priests in covenant ceremonies. Light, that's doing good stuff. Peter's stealing from Jesus, stinker. Salty people, light emanating people. This is the play of the hour, folks. It's the centerpiece of this letter. This, this, this twofold call, devoted to Jesus, to God and to doing good. How many find hope in the word this morning that there's a way forward? I'm gonna close with this. This one I got this morning. I was trying to grind. I'm like, Lord, I need more on the war because so many, I looked up a bunch of, sin stinks. I would have said a different word, but there's kids in the room. Sin is no fun. It's no good. And I do not wanna lead a church that is, is, is light on addressing the reality of sin or doesn't present helpful tools to, to conquer sin so that you can live the vibrant life of Jesus. So I wrote these, I, I sent it to my dad and to my friend Rick. I said, what do you think? Did I miss some stuff? They thought my list was pretty good. So there you go. So how do I overcome the war that sin wages? How many want to know? I already gave you the five R's. Those were extracurricular. I just wrote some simple, I could do sermons on each, I won't. I just want to read them, make a comment, and I want to pray for victory and healing and hope this morning. Number one, flee sin so that you can feast on Jesus. It's, it, it, it's a start to say no to that temptation, to that lust, to that greed, to that self, whatever it is. Fleeing is only a part of it, but it's a big part of it. But we flee so that we can feast. Say that with me. We flee so that we can feast. In other words, if all I do is just say, no, 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 I'm like the house that Luke saw. The house can be swept clean, but if it doesn't get filled, it comes with seven other meaner friends. So we flee sin so we can feast on Jesus. Number two, if you want to overcome the war that sin wages, confess twice. 
I know that there's one mediator, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I know that in him, 1 John 1, 7 through 9, we can be forgiven, purified. But if you want sustained victory, confess twice. Confess to God and then find a friend and say, hey, I fell, I stumbled, I need victory here. But do I have to go through a person? No, but it's sort of God's remedy for sustained breakthrough. James 5, confess your sins one to another. Amen. Number three, understand that the, the war that sin wages, it comes with surroundings and circumstances. What do I mean? If it's dark, 10 o'clock at night, my smartphone, no one's around, that's a surrounding and a circumstance that you're probably susceptible to something you're probably not susceptible at 10 a.m. on a prayer walk. This is everything. We don't just randomly fall into sin. There are patterns, there's habits, there's surroundings and circumstances where we open our heart to things that the enemy's like, cool, moment of weakness. I'm going to expose it here. Give me a thumbs up if you understand surroundings and circumstances. I know this for a fact. Like the surroundings and the circumstances. I'm depressed, I'm sad, so I'll reach for this, this food or this idol or this thing. Amen. Number two. Idle time, oh, it misspelled. There's two spellings of idle. It, it corrected it for me, stinkers. Idle, I-D-L-E, idle time can become idle time. Come on, that was a good one. They misspelled it. Oh, it did spell it right here. Here it's wrong. No, thank you for fixing it. I love you, Justin. Give it up for Justin. Glory. Glory. What does that mean? If I'm not, listen, this is King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If I'm not out at war, when kings go to war, I go up on my roof, I see a naked lady and think, good idea. That's the whole story. That's the Bible. I'm just real talk. Listen, if your life is filled with a bunch of idle time and you don't have a vision to fill that idle time, that doesn't mean you're a robot that has to be always doing, but if you're trying to win the battle of sin, idle time can easily become idle time. It's a good one-liner. And it's not just a one-liner, it's true. Boredom breeds bad things. I'll just leave it there. These are all, I'm trying to be super helpful here. Because who, listen, if you're an unbeliever and you hear the call to holiness, you're like, oh, those Christians are weird. You need to get born again. But I believe, I look at you, I know almost everyone in the room in some level, most of you, if not 99%, have been born again. So the call to holiness is what you actually long for, but you're gutted when you're not living it because of the reality of sin. So the call for the believer to holiness is not heavy, wet blanket. It's I'm made to be alive in Jesus. So it's pulling at your heart right now. It's pull- we long for holiness. We long for the fig leaves to be dropped, to be fully real before God, alive and vibrant in spirit. Okay. Discipline leads to delight. Yes, there will always be a no involved in the battle of sin. Don't discount the ability to say no by the grace of God to a a lust, to a temptation, to a sin. But pray, God, I'm saying no to this because I want to say yes to you. And ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you in the joy and delight of the Lord. Number three, or whatever, I don't, that's not number three. (laughs) Love is a full contact calling, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Many times we don't win the battle of sin because one of those four areas, my heart, soul, mind, or strength are out of whack. I'm eating wrong. I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not exercising. So my soul life is diminished. So here comes a doorway to sin. My mind, I'm just binging on Netflix. I'm not filling it with the truths of scripture. So a lie, and if you get what I'm saying, the call to love him with all that we are means that sin can come through any one of those doors. So if I'm struggling with sin, I don't just think about the sin. I think about circumstances and surroundings. And I say yes to the grace of God to shut doors so I can step into vibrancy of spirit in Jesus. Just give me a thumbs up. I have no choice but to give a thumbs up because of my Consistent in community. Oh, oh. You want to really experience breakthrough? You got to be surrounded by other Jesus followers who are like, you know what? We're all just in it. And together we can make it. Amen. We need each other, folks. We just do. 
I skipped the rhythms, routines, and habits because I did. I am allowed to do that. I'm the preacher. Hab- I love John Ortberg. Habits eat good intentions for breakfast. Oh, but I want to overcome sin. I want to be holy. Let's make a plan together. Are you tracking with me? Let's make a plan. We don't just stumble upon new levels of holiness. He does it in us, and then he's like, okay, now yoke up with me and with a few others. Let's go after this call together. Anyone feel helped? Can you say amen so I can sleep better tonight? There's, there's help here. All of those have verses. I can give you more, but stand on your feet. I want, I want, I want captives to go free this morning. I want captives to go free this morning. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul and live such good lives. If you would say, Chatty, there, there is a call of the Holy Spirit this morning with the teaching of the word. You'd say, Chad, I want, I want to receive the gift of breakthrough which is to be followed up by moment-by-moment partnership. But you need breakthrough in the realm of the war of sin. Can you just lift your hand this morning? The war of sin. You want, you want help from on high. The one who makes men holy and those who are being made holy are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You say, Chatty, right now, I, I need definitive, I need breakthrough. Friends, I was 16. I received definitive breakthrough. In this realm. Now, have I been? No, but I received it. So right now, God, every hand, all the hands that are raised, I'm asking, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would bring a breakthrough in the realm of the waging war of sin. I'm asking for the sanctifying, 1 Thessalonians 5, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to touch our spirit, soul, mind, and body right now in the name of Jesus. God, there's no quick fixes, but there's a God who does a thorough work. So I'm asking, Father, for a thorough work to happen, to take place in the grace and power of Jesus in our church body right now. For those who have been just getting their tail handed to them in the waging war of sin, I'm asking right now that you would stand in their inner man or their inner woman and you would say, no more. The war still may rage, but there are different terms of engagement now that they have called on heaven to bring reinforcements, breakthrough, and the blessing of God. So God, I'm praying in the name of Jesus for your Holy Spirit to touch our church in a profound, transforming way today. We receive it. Just say it. I receive the breakthrough. I receive the merits of Christ and His righteousness. I receive the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that purifies, that cleanses, so that I can live this new life. And maybe right now, you, that's category one. You have plenty of tools to walk in that victory. Plenty of tools from this handout and through the community. But category number two, who would say, Chad, I've had way too low of a vision for how to make a difference in the world. I always feel worthless. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not talented. But you'd say, Chaddy, I want to sign up to do good stuff that brings glory to a good father. Raise your hand. Just a vision for your family, a vision for your fine, a vision for your work, a vision for your relationships. Lord, right now, I pray for the vision of God about just doing things your way. God, I pray you'd break off shame, comparison, complacency, that as we abstain, we abide so that we can live the good life. God, I pray that we would raise the bar of expectation in this house of what you could do through a simple yes, a partnership. Father, I pray for new and creative ways to do good stuff that would cause us to come alive, that would bring joy because we're doing what God's called us to do. We're becoming who God has called us to become in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.